0: And there he goes, coast to coast, can he make it? Yes, he can!
1: You know what it is, Thursday, October 6th. It is time for some action, and this is Green Dot Daily. I'm your host, the Spitting statistician, Dane Martinez, and we're putting the fun in functional sports betting content right here on the Action Network. We're presented by BetMGM. Gotta let you know right now, use the promo code ACTION, and you can get a thousand dollar free bet upon sign up and here on green dot daily we will steer you in the direction to hopefully use that and get those green dots we've got a great show for you as week five of the nfl season gets underway for Thursday Night Football. We're going to have Sean Kerner and Nick Giffen talking about what they see, and we're going to start talking about a new kind of system we will be using here in the Action Network. I can't wait for that. We're talking to Colin Wilson about college football, and we will get Samantha Praviti to join the show to talk about differences in some of the backfields here in Thursday Night Football. So let's get it started. I am over to bring in our guys here Sean Kerner and Nick Giffen to talk about Thursday night football and it's really interesting guys and I'll go to you first Sean you know about a week ago if we thought about this game it would be all Jonathan Taylor and Javante Williams that is no longer the case I've asked you before when someone gets kind of backed out of that production, how do you quantify who like soaks up that usage, eats up the pie? And it's interesting. You do not necessarily think that that work is going to go to the number one wideout, at least on the <laughs> Indianapolis side.
0: Yeah. Well, that's one way to put it, but uh, I'm going with Michael Pittman under 64 and a half receiving yards. Um, now last week, he only managed to catch three balls for 31 yards despite the easy matchup against the Titans, and despite the fact that Matt Ryan threw for 356 yards. Um, So this is a much tougher matchup against Denver. Pittman will likely be faced up against Ronald Darby, Patrick Sertan. Um, So, you know, this is a situation where Naheem Hines will probably get to play more. Well, he will play more with Jonathan Taylor out. They're going to be a bit more pass heavy, but that could also mean more dump offs to Naheem Hines. Matt Ryan could continue to target this three-headed monster they have at the tight end position uh, with and Molly Cox, and Jelani Woods. Um, and rookie Alec Pierce has been coming on of late. So there's just added competition for targets right now for Pittman. And plus, the Broncos blitz at the fourth highest rate. So I think Matt Ryan's going to have some issues with that. Pittman's yards <clears throat> per target goes down from 8.48 to 6.57 yards per target against the blitz. Um, so he's not going to see many deep shots. And he has in this season, he has a very low a dot of 6.5. So this situation, he might need six or even seven targets to clear this number. Um, so while I do think he will be, you know, Matt Ryan's number one target, he just needs a large target share to get there. And I just see Matt Ryan continue to spread the ball around tonight. So I have this median closer to uh, 57 and a half for tonight.
1: All right, fair enough. It's not like Matt Ryan is a mobile quarterback either when the pressure does come. The dump offs could be there. What about you, Nick? I mean, it seems like you are also respecting the cornerback combo that is Darby and Sertan. You have your eyes on potentially fading a different Colts wideout.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think Sean and Eric are kind of in the same mindset here, just with different receivers. I'm going with Alex Pierce under two and a half receptions. You can get that plus 120 at BetMGM right now. Uh, it, Part of spreading it around means if you're spreading it around, you're going to get fewer targets and you're going to get fewer receptions. Uh, also, as Sean talked about, less downfield targets. Well, that's where Alec Pierce, Alex Pierce has been thriving so far this year. Uh, the Broncos overall, they've just allowed the second fewest yards to wide receivers. Pierce lines up on the outside 96% of the time, so he's an outside wide receiver, which means Sertan and Darby will be matching up against him. They've allowed a sub-60% completion rate, each and they've also each allowed less than one yard per route run. The only back that Pierce has faced so far this year is Houston steven Nelson, that has allowed under sixty percent catch rate and sub one yard per route run. So this is definitely his hardest matchup of the year. Additionally, Pierce's snap count. And snap percentage have dwindled each of the three weeks he's played. He's gone from fifty-one percent down to forty-five percent, down to just under forty-four percent of the snaps this past week. So that's not a great trend. Whilst targets have been up, that probably will potentially regress to his mean at some point so uh you know if his snaps are coming down if the ball is being spread around i think under two and a half makes a lot of sense also the in-game model leans slightly more rush heavy than maybe the pregame projections indicate but the bottom line is seven catches in three games that's 2.3 catches per game which is already under that two and a half number and now he faces possibly his hardest matchup
1: yet with dwindling snap counts All right, fair enough. I mean, you got to be on the field in order to produce, right? So if the snap counts are down, absolutely. I'm looking at guys like Naheem Hines and even some of the tight ends you guys mentioned. Mo Alley, Mo Problems, if you want to know where I personally am looking. Nick, what about the game, though? Let's zoom out a little bit. Thursday night football. Broncos are at home. They're laying, I think it's three, three and a half. Watch out for the hook. What do you see here in this game, including the total?
2: Yeah, I think uh, this total is... 42 right now i would lean towards the over but i'm not actually going to take that because i want to get down under 42 i want to get to 41 and a half and then i would bet the over right now 89 percent of the money is on under 42 so there's a chance it comes down to 41 and a half and i know there's some injuries to some some key players but uh, I still think that this game potentially could go over despite the fact that Sean and I are under some player props here. Uh, Our in-game model actually projects both teams to go slightly over on total plays. And also there's the potential for uh, a higher than expected tempo. If Denver who is favored does take a significant lead, Denver doesn't slow down with the lead so far. Uh, So You know, I I think that's a reason to also lean the over here is the team that's more likely to lead wouldn't actually slow the game down if they do take the lead. Also, brand new, our luck rankings show that these teams have actually combined for almost 17 and a half points less scored and allowed under expectation per game. So, you know, these teams essentially should be producing a lot more points offensively and they should have allowed a few more points defensively so that our luck rankings definitely show that the total so far in these games being under that these teams have played has been a little bit lucky. So that also is probably due to regress at some point. And so that's why I would lean over as well.
1: All right. Fair enough. And remember tonight, when the game goes to halftime, don't forget to check in with our guy Nick Giffen on bet what happens live, kind of internalizing what we've seen so far and then how to compare it, juxtapose it and apply it to the second half. But Nick, you referenced something that we wanted to talk about that I think is absolutely intriguing here, and that is the luck rankings that we are now starting to see you guys put together here, and a great idea here for the Action Network. You know, Sean, I want to ask you, like, tell me about these luck rankings. Like, what's the origin story of this? How did you guys think about putting something together to kind of quantify what teams are lucky?
0: Yeah, so I've I've always sort of tried to incorporate luck into my handicapping, and the, basically the idea is that uh, a team's current record significantly influences the public perception of that team. But in reality, you know, there's a lot of things that go into a team's record that are influenced by lucky things. For example, you know, a team's record in close games, you know, a game that comes down to the wire, coin flip type of game, their turnover differential, their strength of schedule to date even something like, you know, field goal percentage allowed. Mm. Um, So what we're attempting to do here is just try to gauge which teams have probably benefited the most from luck and are going to regress to league average on certain things and teams that have been unlucky. So the idea is to find matchups where we have a lucky team facing an unlucky team and back the unlucky team against the spread. And I'll let Nick sort of get into, you know, how we do that and the results so far, but so far it's been very promising.
1: So Nick, talk to me about it. You know, I'm a former math teacher. I want to get into it. Take me, how is the sausage made? How do you weight these different factors that Sean is talking about? Tell me a little bit about the methodology to come into these luck rankings.
2: Yeah, well, Sean, I mean, definitely mentioned some of these things, turnovers and, 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 you know, field goal allowed, luck uh, or percentage. (laughs) Uh, All of those things are plays that happen on the field. And in each play, we can quantify you know, things like an expected points value. And, and from there with a lot of different metrics, I can turn that into what I call an expected score. How right. many points should the team have scored and how many points should their opponent have scored in this game? And that's different from how much they actually scored, right? So if we're looking at how much each team should have scored, then that is a much better metric of their true performance than the actual final score. I mean, think about the Giants game week one. They went for two on the last play and, and they got that two-point conversion and they won. But if they missed it, they'd have lost. All of a sudden, their luck is through the roof. And, and you know, if they hadn't got it, maybe they're back to being a, an average team type of thing. Uh, all because it hinged on one play. And that's helps. Us, that's one of the ways we can quantify luck is through these plays. But it all comes from the in-game box scores we just fit that to the expected score so we've back tested over several years worth of data and we can back test it to fit the true score like the actual game score as best as possible
1: so that's what we're doing to come up with
2: an expected score from there we can determine luck
1: No, this sounds awesome. And you know, I always talk about those missed extra points. Also, I wonder if those are lucky or unlucky. Well, Sean, I guess let's let the cat out of the bag. I'm channeling my inner daft punk. Which are the teams (laughs) so far this season that are up all night to get lucky? So I'm going to
0: go in reverse order here. But the fifth luckiest team is the Seahawks. The fourth luckiest team is the Titans. And then in third place, we have the Dolphins. Second is the Titans. And the luckiest team to date is the New York Giants, and you know they're three and one. As Nick mentioned, they won that thrilling Week One uh, game due to their, you know, the two point conversion at the very end. But they're three and one in one possession games, two and zero in games decided by a field goal or less. So that sort of defines uh, our luck ranking. So despite being a three one team, I think the public perception of them is a bit higher than it should be. Um, They they should probably be closer to a 500 team. Uh, So they are by far the luckiest team after four weeks.
1: All right, fair enough. Nick, give me the flip side here. Who are the teams that are unlucky so far through about a month of the season?
2: Yeah, so again, going to go in reverse order with the fifth most unlucky team, which is the Houston Texans. Fourth most unlucky team is the Indianapolis Colts, who are playing tonight. The third most unluckiest team is the detroit lions second most unlucky the las vegas raiders and drumroll the number one unluckiest team is the new england patriots they've been 1.35 wins below expectation they have a minus three turnover differential they've actually had a lot of turnovers this year and when we talk about field goal luck allowed their opponents are seven for seven on field goals, despite a four and a half yard longer distance than league average this year. That includes making 52 and 56 yarders against the Patriots. So definitely some bad luck there for the Patriots.
1: All right, fair enough. This is great information, guys. And I know you have the full set of luck rankings up on the website. There's an article about it. You definitely need to check this out and make it part of your formula before you make some week five plays. Now, here's what I got to ask you. And, and, and Nick, I mean, Sean, I'll start with you. This seems almost like a philosophical existential question on some level. Like, how do you play this information, right? Is it something like, I heard you use the term regression before, right? Like, does luck regress back to the mean? Or can teams almost like keep their luck sustainable, make their own luck in some way? Given this information, what are some of the plays you're using this for this week?
0: Yeah, so these aren't official plays yet, but okay. um, this is certainly a first step in the process. And I do <laughs> like these two plays. But uh, the Bengals plus three um, against the Ravens. You know, the Bengals are off to a slow start this year. They're two and two, but that's despite being one of six teams to have a plus 20 point differential. So they've been much, much better than their two and two record would indicate. They're 0 and two in one score games, both by three points. Uh, meanwhile, the Ravens are in a similar situation, but they do have a plus five turnover differential, which is the second highest on the season. So they have benefited a bit from luck. Uh, plus the Bengals, they just match up really well against the Ravens. They beat them by 20 or more both times last meet last year. Um, plus 60% of the action is on the Ravens here. And I think you'll see that a lot of the bets that we're on with these luck rankings, the you know the public is backing the lucky team. Right. So that, that kind of serves to the point of we, we kind of know when to fade the public because of these. Um, And the other play is the Saints minus five and a half against the Seahawks. Both teams have a minus 20 point differential, but the Saints are one and three and the Seahawks are two and two. So that's, you know, that's sort of what we're looking for here. Last week I had the Saints plus three and a half. I watched the entire game um, and they probably should have won that game. To be honest, they had a bunch of untimely penalties. Some of them were kind of iffy calls by the refs but you know, the saints were probably the better team uh, against the Vikings Um, and the saints have the worst turnover differential in the league right now at minus seven. So um, I think having a guy like Andy Dalton under center again this week might help in a situation where they're bigger favorites kind of want a more conservative quarterback (laughs) when you're expected to win than um, you know, Jameis Winston. So uh, they should be able to still, you know, attack the Seahawks defense that ranks 31st in DVOA Uh, plus 70% 70% of the action is on the Seahawks. So again, you can kind of see that the public is usually backing the luckier team in these matchups.
1: No, it's interesting. When we talk about Jameis Winston and some of his YOLO balls, I think <laughs> luck is certainly at play there. What do you think, Nick? I see you have a matchup this week where there is a big disparity in the kind of luck rankings and thinking maybe this is going to regress a bit.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the you know the, the biggest luck difference of the week is Las Vegas against kansas city las vegas uh as i mentioned in in the bottom five is the second unluckiest team this year while kansas city has been the ninth luckiest team this year per our luck rankings and as sean mentioned a lot of these lucky teams have positive public perception and they're getting a lot of the money kansas city right now getting about 80 percent of the bets and of the total money las vegas unfortunately for them, has been 0-3 in one possession game, so... They've had some close games. They just haven't won them. So if we were to back a side here, Las Vegas plus seven looks pretty good. Obviously make sure to continue to do your research. And this is definitely one piece of the puzzle, but that would be the first one I like. The next one that I like would be the Los Angeles Rams against the Dallas Cowboys. Not only is there an 18 place luck differential, which does tie the second largest differential of the week between these two teams. uh, But If we also factor in maybe a little bit of recency bias, the the Rams last week, you know, they lost 24 to 9. They didn't look amazing against the 49ers, but there was some bad luck in that game. The long Debo Samuel touchdown that is a component of luck. Long touchdowns aren't expected to happen. So when they do, that you know it's a little lucky. And the 49ers pick six is a little bit lucky. So the the 24 to 9 was much more flattering for the 49ers than it really suggest that was a lot closer so the rams were actually the unluckiest team of the week whereas dallas was the third luckiest team of the week this past weekend against the washington Commanders. so if there's any recency bias there Uh, that could be pushing the spread more towards Dallas's favor as well. So maybe a spot to back the Rams.
1: No, this is awesome, guys. I really appreciate you guys coming on Green Dot Daily to talk about this. You talk about, Nick, how it's like a piece of the puzzle, right? People consider so many things when making the bets, but that's why you come to the Action Network for new insights and the luck rankings that these guys are putting out should definitely be a piece of of the puzzle moving forward. And I personally am excited to have you guys come on Green Dot Daily and talk more about it. Remember, if you want to see the full luck rankings, be sure to go to the Action Network and check out more of the work from these two guys. Amazing stuff. Thanks for sharing it here on Green Dot Daily. Thanks Thanks for for having us. All right. And switching gears over to college football. One other thing, you know, you got to get that last article about the luck ratings right at a website in the app. And another reason I love the app is because of the signals that they give you. And there is a college football game that is going on here. We got Colorado State and Nevada, where all five of the signals are actually leaning towards Colorado State plus three and a half. Definitely something to consider. And when we're considering college football, we bring in our guy, Colin Wilson. Colin, what's going on? We got some intriguing games on the horizon this weekend. I know the first one is the running Rebels in San Jose State. What do you think about this one?
3: Yeah, nice Friday night game here with two dual threat quarterbacks. I'm going to go with San Jose State minus six and a half on the market right now. And listen, this UNLV is a heavy ground attack and it's going up against a San Jose State defense that is 21st in stuff rate. You say, what is stuff rate? That is the ability to stop a rushing attempt at the line of scrimmage or behind it. San Jose State is really good, and that's trouble for a UNLV team that was losing to New Mexico at halftime. They needed plus eight and turnovers against Utah State and North Texas. Just not a believer in what UNLV has been able to do so far. And San Jose State had a one-possession loss to an SEC team, to Auburn. They have Their dual-threat quarterback I mentioned is Siobhan Cordero. He's just dominated Western Michigan and Wyoming. Uh, San Jose State is a play-on team until they fail us at the window.
1: All right, then there's a big matchup in the SEC this weekend as well, Arkansas and Mississippi State. And for you, the uncertainty around the Arkansas quarterback situation is a huge piece of this puzzle.
3: Yeah, it's a big piece to the side and the total, but I think a safe bet here is to play the under, especially at the biggest key number in all of college football totals, which is 59. So if you can get under nine, 15 and a half. Pretty good value there, especially if K.J. Jefferson is announced out. Sam Pittman said yesterday that if you don't practice on Wednesday, you're not on the plane to go to Mississippi State. K.J. Jefferson didn't practice on the outdoors, but when they escaped to the indoors, he actually threw a few passes. So we still don't know if K.J. is going to play. If he doesn't, we're going to quarterback Cade Fortin, the journeyman who's on his third university, and he's a non-scholarship quarterback. Yes, that's who's backing up K.J. Jefferson. A little bit shocking. So you can't really expect a lot of points out of a beat-up Arkansas offense. And this Mississippi State air rate, as much as Will Rogers is thriving and as much as Leach is known for this offense, it's slow. They don't run very fast in seconds per play. They're not explosive, but they are extremely highly successful. They One of the offenses, the biggest in first downs, but they're not big in explosive play. So you can expect long, methodical drives at E-clock. So I love the under 59 and a half here considering all the variables.
1: No, it's so interesting. When I think Mike Leach, that's not what I usually think. But like you said, it's kind of evolved over time. We'll be on the tarmac and see if Jefferson does make the trip with the squad. Thanks, Colin. And remember, we can always see more of you, hear more of your picks on BBOC, which gets going on Saturday mornings on YouTube, in the app, and of course on social media. Make sure you stay tuned for that. Thanks as always, Colin, for stopping by and giving us some insights in the college football world.
3: See you guys next week.
1: All right, let's dive back into Thursday Night Football. We bring in Samantha Praviti to join the show from a fantasy aspect. And I said it at the top of the show, you know, a week ago, you would have thought this is Jonathan Taylor and Javante Williams. Jonathan Taylor, in many places, Samantha, was the number one overall draft pick in fantasy. He's going to miss this one. Tell me, how can fantasy managers adjust given the Colts roster here tonight?
4: Sure. Yeah, we really did not need another running back injury, given just how rough the landscape is. But here we are. So Taylor will miss a game after a very long streak of never having even missed a practice dating back to high school. Cool. So this will force the Colts to turn to Naheem Hind, Deion Jackson, and potentially Philip Lindsay, who is a fan favorite in Denver for many years. It is difficult to get excited about this Colts run game, though. It has struggled all season. Taylor is averaging just four yards per carry, which is a significant drop from his 5.3 yards per carry over the last two seasons. Hines does not profile as an early downs back and right. is really known for catching passes. Unfortunately, he's also trending in the wrong direction. He had his best game of the season in week one. I would consider starting Hines as a PPR flex. He already has 17 catches for 113 receiving yards this season. I think he will see a little bit of an uptick in those early downs, but that, like I said, that's just not usually his role. Jackson has a two attempts for negative three yards this year. And Lindsay has spent the entire season on the practice squad. So they are deeply dart throws at best, especially against a Broncos run defense that has allowed the seventh fewest fantasy points to running backs this season.
1: Yeah, you know, and one thing when we talk fantasy is always like know your settings. You mentioned about the kind of production for Naheem Hines in PPR formats versus standard scoring. A guy like Naheem Hines is a huge difference when it comes to that, but the Denver backfield is also kind of up in the air. No Javante Williams. The Broncos sign Lat Murray over the
4: week. How do you see the Denver backfield playing out? Yeah, so it should be Gordon. He is in line for a massive uptick in work. The question is, can he hang on to it? In theory, Gordon should be the biggest beneficiary fantasy wise with Williams out. We've seen him be productive for fantasy. He was the RB twenty one and half PPR last year while splitting work with Javante, was the RB 15 in the year prior. Uh, that was before Javante was drafted. He is just shy of 30, however, and has had major ball security issues. Per Adam Shecher, the veteran back has fumbled five times in the last 44 carries over five games. His costly fumble on Sunday was the third time Uh, his one of his fumbles has been returned for a fumble six in Denver's the past 12 games so as a result uh, his usage definitely has dropped I mean he he was likely in some kind of disciplinary situation with the coaching staff after that fumble he ended up with a season low 10 snaps and three carries for eight yards last week Uh, so definitely not not a great fantasy performance but he's the only one that I would really trust especially this week he's an RB3 flex play probably a little bit more conservative than others like I think that he could be a locked in rb2 if it weren't for those turnover troubles i just want to see how this backfield develops before crowning him like a workhorse back here next on the depth chart uh like you said are latavius murray and also mike boone boone has been operating as the broncos rb3 behind williams and gordon he tallied a season high four touches for 29 yards and a season high 19 snaps last week against the raiders so not too much to go off of there and Murray was just acquired from the Saints practice squad on Monday in the wake of the Williams news. I mean, he's been productive. He had 11 carries for 57 yards and a touchdown in London last week with Alvin Alvin Kamara out. But that said, I mean, it's a short week and he's brand new to the system. So I really don't want to expect too, too much from him. This is another backfield I'm just like struggling to get excited about. Uh, Like I said, Gordon, is an RB3 flex, but Murray and Boone are sits for me this week.
1: Okay. And you also said, Samantha, right? Like how stretched out the running back position is right now in fantasy with injuries and underperformance. But we do have a bit of good news as well. As we go past tonight's game into the weekend, there's a running back in Washington
4: making a return. And quite frankly, Samantha, it's a feel good story. It is. It is crazy to think that Brian Robinson is already back on the field after being shot just over a month ago in the knee and glute. Really crazy, crazy story and a crazy recovery for him. But prior to that, uh, Robinson was a preseason standout and actually one of my favorite sleeper candidates. He is a tough runner from Alabama, tallied over 1,600 scrimmage yards in his final season for the Crimson Tide. He was selected in the third round of this year's draft, which at first glance, I just thought was like kind of an insurance policy or depth move should Antonio Gibson be injured, but it became clear in training camp that Ron Rivera had different plans. Yeah. Uh, Robinson was on the rise, seemingly at the expense of Gibson, who fumbled six times. That was an NFL high last season and ended up returning punts during the preseason. Like Rivera was talking about him as the best punt returner, and I'm like, oh God, that that's, that's not good for fantasy purposes for him. So Gibson right now is the RB 20 in half PPR though his production has been on the decline since week one he did finish as RB 13 and 12 in his first two seasons so I don't think he's going to disappear completely I expect him to be more in that RB three tier moving forward and expect to see Robinson immediately mixed in in that early downs work that said I'm probably not starting Robinson just immediately I do want to see how things shake out but like I said, he was trending towards being the team starter before the incident. So there's a really good chance he ends up playing a major role once he is fully healthy. Worth noting, um, Robinson actually had been one of the front runners for comeback player of the year right after the shooting. He's been mm-hmm. taken off the board, but he is 21, uh, 22 to 1 for offensive rookie of the year, currently being led by Chris Olave at 5 to 1, 5 to 1 odds.
1: Yeah, I remember over the summertime, right? It was him and like Damian Pierce who were the big kind of rookie running backs to keep an eye on. It's a great story that he is back. We kind of, you know, tip our cap to Robinson and we'll see what it looks like in the commander's backfield over the course of the next few weeks. If you want to keep your finger on the pulse of that, remember Samantha and I give you the Fantasy Flex podcast on Mondays. You better make sure you keep it locked in for that as we continue to look at these stories and others in the fantasy world. World. But thanks for stopping by Green Dot Daily, as always, Samantha, giving us your insights. Thank you. All right, so let's see what it looks like on a Thursday to be down with GDD. We had Sean Kerner on the show earlier, and before we were even talking about the luck rankings, he likes Michael Pittman to go under his proper receiving yards. Nick Giffen also picking unders on Colts receivers. Alec Pierce under two and a half uh, receptions there, and he likes uh, kind of leaning to go over on Thursday night football. We also talked to Colin Wilson in the show, and he is on San Jose State against the running rebels and a game to go under in the sec you see there the bet slip if you're wondering how can i get some cash to go ahead and make these bets well all you gotta do is sign up with bet ngm Use the promo code ACTION, and you will get a $1,000 free bet. That can certainly help. And remember, we're also going to be here tomorrow. It is going to be a football Friday, getting you ready for week five of the NFL season. And I'm telling you, download the app and check out these guys' article on the luck rankings moving forward. Another piece of the puzzle as you start to, you know, get your quest for the green dots. So for everybody... Who joined the show today all of the production folks in the back making us look and sound good i am merely the spitting statistician dane martinez check out our plays download the app and then come on back tomorrow so your balance can celebrate with us because hopefully you got some green dots we'll see you tomorrow peace